But anyway, we've got a great young generation rising. It's really good. Amen? I take it they're all going, are they? The youth going out? And... Okay. We haven't got much time, so I do want to say something. And I'll describe what that something is. Because something is not a word. It's undescriptive. Okay, I want to keep talking about the dynamic of the family. The, dy- the dynamics of the family. Now church, just hear me a second before we start. God spoke to us about dealing with the family. Does everybody, can everybody see that? So if God is speaking to us, then you must listen. Because you're part of the us. Yeah? You're the us that God's speaking to us about. Why is God speaking to us about our family? Because he sees behind the wall. He sees into every home. And he sees what's not right and what could be made stronger. Not everything in your house or my house is necessarily wrong. But there are things that can be adjusted so it can become stronger. There are some things that are wrong and God has to reveal them to us. And sometimes we know what's wrong. We just avoid it, don't we? But we've been using the book of Nehemiah as our guide, our challenge and our inspiration. Because Nehemiah found himself in a very peculiar situation. He found himself where a nation, the walls of the, of the, excuse me, the city had been destroyed, burnt down, and were in the state of ruin. Yet he used families to go and rebuild it. Now, what kind of families did he use? He didn't use polished arrows. He used the ones that were disgraced and in trouble. He used the average people, the ordinary people, and not one of them were plumbers, builders, electricians, joiners. He just used families who were willing. Yes? He just used normal families like you and me to go and rebuild and put the honour of God's name back into the city and put the honour of God among, back amongst his own people. That's the key thing. God wants to put his honour back amongst his people so that a people can carry him wherever they go. Now there's a thought that says, before you can ask the families in a church to go and evangelize or engage in society and in community, you have to make every family strong before you can actually begin to use them. It's not true. In fact, there never could be a principle further from the truth. God doesn't wait for anything to be perfect before he uses them. The proof of that is in front of you. Me. My wife says amen. We're celebrating our 33rd anniversary this weekend. 33. A principle that says it's possible to keep a family together for 33 years. It's good. So that thought is wrong. Would you all agree? I'm part of the, the thinking that says... That as you go, you will grow. 
as you go with what you know, you will grow. Think about that. So if I know an element of truth, I only have to know Jesus is Lord. I have to get saved one day. The woman at the well didn't know an awful lot. But all she did know, she went and told everybody else. So she did something with what she knew. Yes? And as a result, she began to grow. She began to see that by telling others, something begins to happen. And something would have taken place in her. Something, some work would have taken place deep within that woman's heart. Because this was a woman with issues. This is a woman with all different kinds of thinking. And Jesus had to talk to her. She had different perceptions. So, now some of us believe that if we're a great, you know, there's nothing like the church to adopt this principle and this thinking that says, if we just have enough fellowship, We build a lot of time for fellowship. We'll get to know one another. We'll trust one another. And we'll do, this will become the road then for us going out together and doing a lot more. So you find churches in their calendars create tons and tons of time for fellowship. Now the problem is fellowship is not drinking coffee and eating food. There's your problem. That's just called coffee and food. Everybody's doing that. Can you imagine the cafe down the road? So what are you doing? Oh, we're just having fellowship. No, you're just eating. You're having a natter. Fellowship means something different. And I'm not going to go into that this morning, but fellowship is not just eating and drinking. But this thought of mobilizing people has been reduced to fellowship. Because we believe by fellowship, fellowship is the starting point to us getting out and becoming one, synergizing together. Now I know you, now you know me. Woohoo! Now we'll go out. And fellowship, our version of fellowship has not produced that. I remember when I was working with the leaders in Tameside. And my pastor had said, I tried that in my day. Leave it. It doesn't work. So you know when someone says leave it, you have a go, don't you? So I thought, I'll show him. So I started working with all the clergy first. Right enough, we came to the point of nothing. After many years of trying, many food, many, much eating and drinking and da-da-da. And then I found a people who I thought was similar, of similar vein. And it included the clergy and it included the charismatics and, and the maniacs and all the other kind of people. We had all the various kinds of animals in the zoo. And... We used to meet every month for tea and coffee and food because we, we believed that fellowship, without fellowship, we can't trust. I need to know who you are. So we drank endless buckets of coffee. We had endless meals together. And I remember one day thinking, this is going absolutely nowhere. And the un... Oh, I should say, I'm not eloquent in that area. So I said, guys, this is rubbish. Just like Paige says, I dumped him. This is like me saying, this is bobbins. This is not working. So I said, why don't we try and construct a common purpose of why we're meeting together? All of them rejected it. They all rejected a common purpose. So I thought, well, if we can't have a common purpose, what the heck are we doing here? 
What is the point? Exactly. We need to have more fellowship so I can trust one another. Eight years down the road of that journey, we produced nothing, but we drank a lot of coffee. Most of those guys are not in the area, and three of those guys are no longer in the ministry. I'll say two of those guys are no longer in the ministry. So it seemed like we wasted a lot of time when we could have been using our time productively and doing building people and building our community. Fellowship is not the answer. Now, fellowship has its own purpose, has its own reason, has its own dynamic, but you must clarify what fellowship is first. So that when you do spend time together, fellowship, you can draw the right things from that fellowship. Jesus says to his disciples, and when he said what I'm going to tell you, he said, he's knocking that principle on fellowship before fellowship. Fellowship before fellowship is the current thought. But Jesus says, no, fellowship comes first. Fellowship will come out of fellowship. What does he mean? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now you can imagine the disciples saying, what? No coffee. No coffee. What? No food. We don't even get a meal with you first. By the way, who are you? It's a fair comment. Who are you? Uh, where? Where are you taking us? Where did you come from? All these questions would, if a stranger walked in the street and said to you, follow me and I'll make you a fisherman of men, wouldn't you have a few questions? I think I would. Who the hell are you? Where are you going? What gives you, why would I want to follow you? What does a fisherman look, or a fisher of men look like? These are the natural questions that someone would ask someone who said, follow me. But Jesus said, no, son, it's out the followship that I'll begin to change your life. It's out the following that you'll gain a sense of purpose and understanding of my nature and my assignment for your life. We've had too much fellowship and not enough followership. Hello? Now, to follow means someone's got to be leading. So if you have leadership, leadership has followership. Followership produces elements of fellowship. So we get them in the wrong line. What we don't want is fellowship. Do you know, do you know why the church has so, wants so much fellowship? Do you know why? Here it is. Because you've got time. You've got so much time, you're going nowhere. You've got so much time on your hands just to sit down and drink tea and coffee. No, I love my coffees. I plan, my, I plan all my journeys on coffees. We've joined the word coffee and opportunity together and we call it a coffee. Me and Andy call it a coffee. So we put the word coffee and opportunity. And lo and behold, I'm in Australia and there's a sign saying coffee. I thought, this is true. This is Bible. I found it in Australia, right in Swan Hill. I thought, I should take that sign home. So I took a picture of it and I showed it Andy. It's now Bible. It's official. We can use it. Cofotchini is part of the apostolic journey. It is. So wherever you go, I'll follow you if there's coffee there. (laughs) 
But people sit around and want fellowship, but they don't want fellowship. They want to sit down and talk about things rather than walk and talk. And this is the problem we have. When it comes to rebuilding and families, we've got to be going somewhere. We build families on the journey. We don't build families sat on our blessed assurance. We don't build families necessarily sat in here. We don't. We can empower, we can educate, we can, we, can, we can inspire and motivate and all those things. There's a place, there's a reason why we're here this morning. But there's no better place to work with people and watch people and help people is on when their hands are up to it. When the hands have got hold of the materials. True? Some people learn just by watching. But you know, I was always, I learned by doing. And you make a lot of mistakes by doing. You never make a mistake by watching. Do you know that? It's safe. Absolutely. Watchers, it's amazing. You go to a football match, everybody's watching, everybody's telling, blaming the 11 guys on the field getting the exercise. And the 52,000, whatever the number is, are the ones who need the exercise, telling those. You know, you can imagine a football saying, that's why you're paying to watch us. Because we can do it. You think you can do it, we are actually doing it. Yeah? There's nothing like the field of play. There's nothing like the field of play. So Nehemiah was very practical, and he used the work to build the people. He used the work to build the people. Now, in the charismatic counseling society, we'd have brought the families in, counseled them, covered them, loved them, fed them, watered them, coffeed them, teed them. But Nehemiah didn't do that. He used the work to get alongside the people. The people then had to follow the leader. And in the work, he began to deal with the issues. And the reason why many churches don't grow is because we allow the people to settle. We allow the people to settle. If you said to most families, how are you finding it in the field? What field? How are you finding it in life? You know, how are you finding uh, the work of the Lord? What work of the Lord? They're not, they haven't got to work. They go to work, but they haven't got to work. Most people's lives are caught up in the civilian affairs. Of life. That's why Paul says, don't get no good soldier gets caught up, tangled in the civilian affairs of life. But the true truth, truth is, many of us are not soldiers. And because we're not soldiers, we get involved in the civilian things of life. And there's no there's no skill to cut ourselves free from what's entangled us. Come on. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So, in this room, there are no foreigners. Hello? Look at the person at the side, irrespective of where you've come from. There are no foreigners in this room. There are no aliens in this 
room. Some strange looking beings may be, but there are no aliens. Okay? He's not talking about the ones from up in the space. But we may have, we may have, I don't know if you arrived on your UFO this morning. But the point is, there is no aliens in this church. There is no foreigners in this church. We've got to hit the race, the cultural issue of our society. And we've got to say, in our house, in our family, there is no foreigners. This must be our creed as a family. Would you all agree to that? But in so many parts of the world, the church has got racial division. We've got aliens and foreigners living inside the church who are supposed to be the family of God. Now, it's one thing declaring it, and it's another thing to behave it. Hello? I know there are cultural differences in this church. I'm not trying to obliterate culture. Every person is entitled to enjoy and celebrate aspects of their culture. True? There's nothing wrong with with that. When culture then becomes your guideline for your behavior only, then that's limiting. I know we are a culture of the big breakfast. Yes? People say fish and chips is, is the number one. No, it's not. The breakfast is. The breakfast is the number one meal, right? You get a breakfast anytime you want, dinner, breakfast, or tea, right? So the breakfast is the number one. Then you've got other, you can have your, no one eats fish and chips today. Very, very few people eat fish and chips. You get chips and pie, and you get chips and pudding, and curries and Chinese, but fish and chips, it's not, it's, no, no, sorry. I'm sticking with a breakfast. Fish and chips, go on. You. I didn't say people don't eat them. I'm talking about the majority. <laughs> Don't eat fish and chips. Phil, do you eat fish and chips? Where's the last time you ate fish and chips? See, there's the proof. <laughs> Using him. Look at him. He's like a stallion now. Right. The, well, we, we, had him yesterday. we had him yesterday. Right? Listen to the alien over there. <laughs> so there is no... There is culture in the house, but there is no dominant culture. I know Af- uh, the African culture have a different breakfast to the, the big breakfast, right? I know one, one will have a staple diet of, say, rice, one will have potatoes, one may have maize, some may have something else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You come to my house, you get what we eat. I go to your house, I get what you eat. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. But when we... Consider ourselves part of the family of God. There is a behavior and a thinking that God expects. I cannot sit and look at my brother and sister here and say they are foreigners. It's wrong as a Christian for me to say that. Now, how society, sorry, our government, where I say this, if you came through the front door, in other words, you went through your processes, then you're legally, in any, this is in any, any nation, if you go through the front door of any nation and you go through the processes and they give you their passport and they accept you, you are a citizen of that nation. If you go through the back door, in other words, they don't know you're there. Right? If they don't know you're in there, then you might have problems. Right? But, but, 
we have a family here, and it's a multicultural, diverse family, and I love it. I love it. I won't have it any other way. But we have to observe the behavior of our culture because if we don't watch out, culture is in every one of us. I like my tea. You might like your malt, right? I might like coffee. You, might, you don't drink coffee, do you, John? See? I know what my brother doesn't like. And he knows what I like. So it doesn't matter. That's not our point of fellowship. That's not our point of fellowship because if that was our point of fellowship, I'm not coming because he likes malt. <laughs> and he's not coming because I drink tea or coffee. John, John doesn't drink tea or coffee. So the point is, we're always going to find culturally a reason to separate. But we've got to overcome that and pursue each other because we're part of the family. We're not aliens. We're not foreigners. Hello? It's easy to say it. It's another thing to behave it. It's amazing you leave me to my culture and I'll just wander off. And I don't realize I'm doing it. Come on. Because culture is, 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 is what I am. But at the same time, it can't be, I can't allow it to dictate to my behavior. When I'm conscious of it, I can change it. When I'm not conscious of it, you know, someone has to point it out to me. Now, if I'm unconscious of something and say John's conscious, John could think I'm doing it deliberately. Now, if John's got a seed of an offense inside of John, he can use that. Or if I've got an seed of an offense, if I've got any kind of racism inside me whatsoever, I can use what I don't see in him as a reason. See, they're all like that. Come on, be honest. And very often, it's the seeds that are in the family that begin to become the reasons and arguments that we push away and say, if they only changed. Listen to the arrogance of that statement. If they only changed. If they did this. If he was like that. If she was like this. And God says, take a look at yourself. Take a good look at yourself, my friend. I cannot believe, I really seriously have a big problem with churches with racial divide. I just, it, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. The family of God behaving like society. I just don't get it. And if I was the pastor, I'd really smack this thing on the head. I really would. Because how can we take this word to the letter if we can't stand for something. Come on. We've got to be able to stand for this and say, look, there's no foreigner and there's no alien in our house. I have one family. In my family, personally, I have Nigerians. I even had, was he Arab? Uh, Kathleen's husband? Middle Eastern, anyway. Middle East. Then we had, uh, we've got Togolese. We've got Nigerian. So I'm built for the nations. Scottish, we've got the Jockinese, right? The Glaswegianites. So it doesn't matter. In my family, I've got no reason to say I can't, you know, I've got to say they are part of my family. The Nigerians, I've got Nigerians in my family. I've got Togolese in my family, right? I've got Jockinese in my family. And I, oh, well, I forget the Irish, leave them. 
Let's not go too far now, Cheryl. There's a line. <laughs> no. What God is saying is, Tony, I'm giving you no excuse. It's almost like he was preparing me for nations. And I love it. I love it. So let's finish this verse. You're no longer, stri- sorry, you're members of God's household. Do we get a strong amen there? So look at, the, look at the alien at the side of you, the foreigner at the side of you, right, and say, you are, listen, come on, I'm being serious now. This will test where, you, where your heart is. Look at the person of a different origin. Well, I start off in self-divine. And you married him, you've got to like him. Seriously, come on, listen, listen, listen. I'm trying to, I'm trying... You know, sometimes when we ask people to do things, you find the walls and barriers. Look at the person of a different origin and say, you and me are part of the same family. Listen, now hold their hands, hold their hands, and say, we are, listen, and I like it so. And we are part, listen, and we are brothers and sisters. From a different mother. But we have the same father. Amen. I have brothers from a different mother, but we are the same father. Heavenly father, that is. And if you don't know your mother, if you don't know your father, is that your mother? So consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household, and you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, there's the key, in him. This family has origin. Remember last week we read from Ephesians, and kneel before the Father, in heaven and earth derives its name. There's our origin. So this family, this origin now, is joined together in Christ. It's building, he's joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You're saying, what's this got to do with family? It's got a lot to do with family. We start corporately, there's no, there's no foreigners and aliens in our family. Oh, someday God's going to release me around the world to speak this. And I'm going to see people cringe. I might get a few stones thrown at me. But guess what? This is right. This is right. We cannot turn around and say, there's, Jew, there's no Jew and Gentile, but we can have aliens and foreigners. And the American church is probably the worst. There's a massive divide, tension there. What between the Hispanics, the, uh, the whites, the blacks, and all the other nationalities are there, there's massive divide. And you can see that confusion is just polluting the atmosphere and the politics is disdained, but, uh, sorry, tainted by it. There's no clarity. You can't vote for a black man in the White House based on his colour. It's wrong. Because it's showing God where your heart is. You can't vote by colour. You vote by what the right man for the right job. 
And I just wish that and the, the nations of the world, what makes racism so, it's evil. There's no reason. So John's got black skin, I've got white skin. Well, I haven't got white skin. We said this, he's pink. What? So what? That makes him no different than me. John's just as good looking as me. In fact, you're getting better. He don't drink tea or coffee, I do. I dehydrate. He's just hydrated. So we're built on the foundation. This family's built on a foundation. Jesus is not Jewish. Ooh. Jesus died for the world. His origin started in heaven. We know he was born in Israel. We know that. We're not playing semantics. What we're saying is, in Jesus' heart, it's not just Jewish. Just like in my heart, it's not just English. Yeah? In fact, probably God's got a tracksuit on my GB on it up there. <laughs> and all the other nations. <laughs> UN. <laughs> CONCAF or whatever it is. So he's built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets. Why the apostles and prophets? Because they're the ones who's going to show us how to build this house, this family. It's not the pastors alone. Pastors love and care and da-da-da. That's your interpretation of what the pastoral office was. But that's not what the Bible says. They're part of an apostolic team. But the prophets and apostles are the ones who see and know how to build. So this family's got to be seen. And this family's got to be heard. And this family's got to be built. Would you agree with that? In him, the whole building. So if you're part of his building, you're joined together. And it rises to become a temple of the Lord. Then you become, if you're part of that, then you qualify for becoming a well-ordered house. Because every well-ordered house needs a well-ordered family. Every well-ordered house must have a well-ordered family. Without a well-ordered family, the house is in disarray. Yes? So we need a pattern, we need a blueprint, we need a model to build a well-ordered family. And it's got to be built on the same principles that the church is. Christ as the head. God as the Father. The Holy Ghost who is our conscience. It's got to be built with that. That framework. Would you agree? Let me read, you what, let me read to you the message version of that verse I've just read to you. Ephesians chapter 2, 9. And it says here, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no, longer, you're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. Yes? You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. That's what the message says. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here. Yeah? In what he is building, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he is using you. Fitting you in brick by brick, stone 
by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together, we see it taking shape day by day. It's a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. The message is not a Bible, the message version, it's a paraphrased Bible. In other words, he's trying to help it just come alive. But there's a lot of truth in what he's saying there. A lot of truth in there. We really do have to get hold of this issue of aliens and foreigners in the family. We have to root out this whole concept, this thought pattern that potentially lies in every one of us. Here's the first thought of being part of a family. There's nothing worse than a family member feeling not part of the family. There's nothing worse. What do you think their behavior is going to be? At some point, they're going to break away. They're going to go on the run. And they're never going to trust anyone because they never feel part of the family wherever they go. Many of you have felt like that. Many of us came to this church because we didn't feel part of the last one. There has to come a point when you stop running. There has to come a point when you stop running. And there's a point when you have to let the Holy Spirit do some things. Now, there is a spiritual work and there is a physical work. Right? God uses people... To reach people. How many of you know that? God uses people to reach people. God uses spiritual people also to reach unspiritual people and to speak to spiritual people. Yeah? Every day our world is used, God's using people to reach people. Of course, yeah. And many of them have got good missions. Yeah? But then there is another company of people. Spiritual people who God's using to reach people who are not spiritual, so they can become spiritual, or hopefully they'll become spiritual. And he's also using people, spiritual people, to help spiritual people. Does that make sense? God's using us in different forms. However, when you're on the road and you don't feel part of a family, you'll never fix it on your own. What people have created, it takes somebody else to help you. Makes sense. You can run and run and run and run. And you'll never get the answers until you sit down and let someone speak to you. It's true. It's true. You don't like that, I know. Someone has to be a voice into your life. And you can't turn around and say, it's just me and God. Because you and God never got you that far anyway. When you didn't feel part of the church family or the home, you didn't trust God. You just went by your emotions and you ran. So you're still going to need somebody to bring you back to the heart of God so you can hear the heart of God. Hello? That's why so many Christians go from church to church to church to church. I don't know what they're looking for, but they won't put the roots down and they won't let this this next level be developed. So they go all through the life doing nothing, but they sure had a lot of fellowship. Sure a lot of drank of coffee. They had a good food. They even 
partook of other people's hospitality and generosity, but they themselves never got anywhere. And we, now the other thing about being part of a family is, first of all, you, think you can be part of a family, but not, the worst thing is to be, feel, be in a family and not feel part of it. The second thing is to feel is you're responsible for the family. That takes a different kind of shoulders and a different kind of person to take the responsibility for a family. It does. Now, I and the elders are responsible for this family. Now, that's an appointed role by God. It was God who gave some to be. Well, in that case, I was one of those some to be. Yes? Why? So that they can... Govern the affairs of the household. Yes? So there needs to be structure and order in this family. Now we know immature members of the family don't like structure. That's why our society is full of dysfunction. But every household needs government. It does. And this is why the family is being attacked. Because if we can remove mum and dad, we we attack the... The God-instituted authority that brings balance, harmony. The enemy knows what he's doing. He does. So we need authority in the family. And we need, you know, we need a grace to be in charge. Now, every parent in this house must receive a grace. Now, you brought children into the world. You did that by mechanical, biological effort. Okay? They call it the urge to merge. Right? But once you made the child, raising it is a completely different thing. Or raising them. It takes a completely different thing. Now, you do it by responsibility. But how many of you know there is no manual to raising kids? Or is there? There is. One here. There is. But there isn't one in terms of what you do in the middle of the night. If he's crying and screaming. The Bible hasn't got a verse for that. And praying won't help the kid. Right? Slapping the kid won't help it. So there are many, many things we have to learn en route. But it didn't stop you having children, did it? You were quite willing to walk and learn as you go. So why don't we do that in the church? Yeah? Because you say, I'll tell you why you have kids. For the joy that went before you. You tell yourself, this child's going to be joy to our life. It's true. When you're planning children, you think, oh, we'd love to start a family. Wouldn't it be nice just to have our little, our, our little Jimmy, our little Susie running around? Wouldn't it be nice? And all of a sudden, the demon from hell arises. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, screaming. Dun, dun, dun. What do you do with that? You love it. You love him. You don't slap him and say, shut up, you noisy rat. You love him. Why? Because the joy that goes before you tells you that this child will be worth it. There's going to be better days. Come on, be honest. So what you do is, you didn't wait for the training manual to be given to you before you had children. You're happy to walk and talk and learn and go and grow. Christianity is no different. You embrace the responsibility. However, 
It takes a grace. And I'll tell you why it takes a grace. Because your children has a destiny. Your children has a destiny. And it takes a grace to sail the ship towards their destiny. We raise children by responsibility. Naturally. But spiritually, we need a grace so that we can stay in control of the ship and make sure the ship is sailed in the point of their kid, our kid's destiny. Why? Because if we don't, there's somebody else who wants them to be part of their crew. So it takes a grace to be part, to grow a family. Not just knowledge, not just good people, all those things. We all need good people around us. That's, that's standard. The right people, obviously. But to raise spiritual children, spiritual family, without doubt, takes a grace. Because our children's destiny is at stake. And if you've got your destiny, your kids pushing in another direction can cause you actually to leave your post. So there's a lot of distractions and a lot of internal issues that if you don't tap into this grace, anything can happen. So many parents abandon their calling in life because their kids demand their time. Now, it's not wrong to give your kids time. We know that. Let's, let's not, we don't have to fill in every gap here. But some, some of our kids get involved in all, you know, after school clubs can keep us busy in skin forever, can't they? Yeah? Is there many, how many after school clubs are there? And your kid wants to do this this week, and then he wants to do that next week, and then he wants to do this next week. And then your kid starts showing some potential. And before you know it, you're spending all your money and all your hours on the road taking your kid to the, in this particular direction. And you think because it's got a talent, that's its destiny. Ha-ha! That's the subtlety. That's why you need a grace to know the difference. Hello? How many kids, when they're raised, can play football? And how many kids are going to be footballers? I told Tayanga, he's playing football, good footballer. And he wanted to play football. And he was having trials. I said, T, you've got a gift to play football. I can see that. But it doesn't mean to say this is where God's going to take you. But I want to play football. I know. He wants to play football. I said, you know, this gift of yours can take you just as far away from God as it can take you closer to him. And mum and dad have to know the difference. Our kids are all born with talent. There isn't anybody who hasn't been born with potential. But we must know as parents, this is why we must need the grace. Even for our grandkids. Even right now, I'm looking at Ella and Harper, and I'm thinking there's got to be a destiny for Harper. <laughs> there's got to be a destiny. I see, like a, I see Harper's like a dad. And then I see Ella's like a mother. But I, me and Carol are already planning. We have to be the in-between because we, we believe that our grandkids have a spiritual destiny. But their mother and father are not walking in theirs. So I need a grace to hold them and be the anchor. And I only get limited exposure. But guess what? I get unlimited exposure prayer-wise. I get airtime. All the airtime I want is free. 
on my prayer SIM card, many texts, as many FaceTime as I want. Unlimited. But on the earth, I only get them maybe once every fortnight. But when I get them in that fortnight, there's got to be a mixture of fun. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of fun when you've got kids that size. And there's also going to be some serious time. And I always spend time trying to educate her and talk to her about Jesus. Harper's at that point now where she just... But at least Ella can sit down and talk. Why? Because granddad's stepping in. Because I've got to... I need a grace to hold her. Because her mum and dad's going to take her in different directions. Yeah? Being a grandparent is a great place. Because sometimes you've got to be the bridge between the two generations. Yes? And a wise man lays up an inheritance for his children's children. So we're thinking two generations. So if I'm going to build up an inheritance, I need to determine what inheritance they're going to have. Money is only one aspect. But I want my kids to have a legacy. Kids, you know, our kids get married. And before you know it, we're grandparents. And you think, whoa, I don't know how to handle this. Takes the grace. The same grace it took you to raise your own family, Tony. Now it's the same grace to raise your grandkids. But you'll play a different role now. It's great, you can send them back. So in finishing, because I didn't plan to say this, what I'm saying this morning. This was not on my agenda. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently... You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. In God's household, there needs to be God households. Let me say that again. In God's household, there need to be godly households. That's good. That's worth the entrance fee, that. In God's household, there needs to be godly households households that are built on the foundation of Christ. A foundation that was laid by the apostles. Sorry, built on the foundations of the apostles. It was laid by Christ, built on by the apostles. Sorry, got it wrong. Laid by Christ. The apostles didn't lay this foundation. Christ laid the foundation. They're building on it. That's important we get that right. Why? Because this together Together, 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 joined together. It's in the joining together that it arises to become holy temple of the Lord. And in him you two are being built together, together, together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Together, together. In God's household there needs to be godly households who together are being built, who together are being joined to become a temple of the Lord in which God dwells in by his own spirit. God does not dwell in in a racially divided church. Jesus says, I'm building my church, so we need to look at what he's building. And what he's building will reveal why he's building. Amen? And what and why will reveal its power, its dimensions. All that can only happen when you, as an individual, see yourself part of a bigger family. Because if you bring your behavior 
into this family, that's when you see... You know, if, if I've been raised as a white supremacist, and you come to a church, what are you looking for? Whites. Of course you are. Because that's what you've been raised. You went to a white school, lived in a white neighborhood, and now you come into a church that's multicultural. Whoa! Whoa! That's going to reveal some things in your heart and my heart. So we need to see ourselves joined together. Amen? Joined together. Because when we do that, then the family takes on a different dimension. Then and only then, God will give us the permission to raise this thing up. So, you really do need to ask yourself, members of God's household, is there any seed of offense towards another culture or another race in your heart? If so, you need to put it right. Because the last two brothers I read of in the Bible, Cain and Abel, there was a murder. And you know when John brings his sacrifice, and I bring my sacrifice, and then God accepts John's sacrifice, but doesn't accept my sacrifice, I'm going to look for ways to go and murder my brother. Because that's what exactly the story of Cain and Abel. Cain did. He found ways. One one sacrifice, one offering, revealed what was in his heart. Just one offering. And then all of a sudden, God says to him, what's wrong with you? What do you mean, what's wrong with me? You know when you say to someone, what's wrong with you? Now what's wrong with me? Well, tell your face. God could see Cain's face was as long as next week. What's wrong with you? And then he says this, sin is trying to master you. It's crouching at the door, but you must master it. Yeah. What happened then? He didn't master it. It got him. And then he killed his brother. And then he tries to turn around and come back into the presence of God, thinking that the presence of God will not expose him. The presence of God. And he says, where's your brother? And he turned around and said, I'm my brother's keeper. And I'm going to, going to pick, pick up on that next week. Yes, you are. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Well, why is your brother's blood crying out from the ground? So the blood speaks. It cries out. Innocent blood speaks. God remembers. That's why the, martyr, the blood of the martyrs will always speak. And he says to him, well... I didn't think you'd basically know. Well, hang on, you're in my presence. I know everything. So we've got to make sure that in this house, the blood doesn't cry out to God. The blood of my brother does not cry out to God. Because if the blood of my brother cries out to God, I'm in trouble. We're in trouble. And trouble is, in many churches around the world, the blood of the brothers is crying out. And God is not happy. And that's why he says, I'm building my church, but I'm not building this one. I can't build this one. Why? Because there's too many canes in here. Come on, be serious with this thing. We must not allow any seed. Any seed. If, if we aren't part of this household, 
them, every member is my brother and sister. I've got to see that. It's not a colour thing. There's no foreigners and no aliens in this house. Would you agree with that? Let's stand to our feet. That's why I struggle. I really do struggle in my heart when I see so many different churches in, in Manchester. I understand there's a language issue, but we can get round language. We really can. It's not a reason to be on our own. It's not a reason to be separate. It really isn't. Language can be solved. We can get translation. We really can. But when I see so many different cultural churches around the, the city, I just think, this is not what God's really wanting. God's not looking for foreigners and aliens in, in the city. He's looking for a church. And really, it's easy to turn around and say, I didn't want a white church. I don't build a church. I didn't choose the church. But I was never happy with a white church. I just said to the Lord, when we started praying, church, about laying our hands on the wall, and we said, Lord, send in the nations. God says, I can do something with that. I can do something with that. Now, many nations have come, and many nations haven't stayed. Because not everything who walks through the door is material. But the point is, at least our hearts were open. Our hearts are still open and must stay open. Remember, it's easy to say it, but it's different to behave it. And that's why I'm constantly watching how we interact with one another. We must do. Because leave you and leave me to our own tendencies. My likes, my wants, my needs tend to lead me. So in God's house, we're God's people, amen? So let's just raise our hands and say, Father, root out every seed that I'm unconscious of. Root it out, O oh Lord, every seed, every reason for me to be separate, to think I'm better, to think I can do more, I should, I'm more entitled to something than, than, my, than my next person in here. Lord, root it out. Root it out of me, Lord. Let there be no seed of anger, frustration, bitterness. Let there be no cultural division in my heart. Because, Lord, in this family, if this family takes its origin from heaven, then, Lord, in my future, I'm going to be surrounded by nations. And I'm going to spend eternity with nations. And if I can't get on with them down here... I'm going to be in trouble. And I must not, I cannot wait to get up there before everything's dealt with. Lord, you need to deal with it down here. Don't let me enter heaven, oh God, with enmity in my heart. But let me walk in to heaven, embracing the family of God, just as it's been embraced on earth. Because Lord, your word says, heaven and earth. So Father, we ask you, thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your presence. It's been glorious. But now, Lord, I ask you, Lord, don't let this word fall to the ground. Let this word bear fruit. Even today, let there be repentance. Even today, oh God, let there be brotherhood formed. Even today, Lord, even today, in this house, build your house, oh God. Build your people so that we reflect just one person and one culture, kingdom and Christ. 
And the people of God said, the living creatures said, Amen. Amen. Amen.